It's a great spiritual truth, I believe, that is applicable to all of us. As we continue to draw near to Jesus, we will reflect the glory of Jesus through our lives toward others. And yet if we turn away, then the glory of Jesus will also fade away from our lives as well. It is only when we stay near to Jesus that we are being transformed into his image. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. All right, we're looking at Exodus 34 and 35 tonight. We have, beginning in Exodus 34, Moses being commanded by the Lord to return to Mount Sinai, to go up on the mountain of God, and to carry with him two tablets of stone. Because the first time that he went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, God provided the stones with the Ten Commandments upon them. But while Moses was there on the mountain, the children of Israel were in the valley, in the camp, and they got tired of waiting. Said to Aaron, we don't know what happened to your brother, so make us a god that will go before us. And the whole golden calf incident took place. Moses came down from the mountain, took the stones that God had given him with the Ten Commandments, broke them on the ground, ground them up, and forced the people to drink the law. We are not under law, but under grace. Law was tough. But God's grace is greater. And we find that out here in Exodus 34, because now God has Moses return to the mountain. This time he has to supply the stones. But God was still right upon the stones, his commandments, for the children of Israel, and would continue to be in their midst and to guide them into the promised land. So take heed to yourself, God. Said to Moses, verses 10 through 13, I'm going to read. Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as you have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Take heed to yourselves, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Remember when uh, the Taliban uh, went into Iraq just a few years ago in Mosul, and they were tearing down uh, the ancient artifacts from Babel into that area. Uh, The Babylonian Empire had been buried there. They've uh, uncovered some of that, and they were 
tearing down those things. And we think they're tearing down history. It's kind of what God commanded the children of Israel to do when they went into the promised land. Destroy it all because it will become a snare to you. And they were also tearing down churches and altars and stuff that it was an affront to so many different religions, but even the Christian religion as well. But it's similar to what God called the children of Israel to do. He gave that warning to take heed to yourself. He said it twice. Take heed to yourself when you go into the land. Be careful because if you're not careful, if you don't take heed, it will, those pagan gods, will become a snare in your midst. Verse 12. So God warned Israel not to make any covenants with the people, not to worship their gods, not to marry their children, not to have any molden images and molden gods for themselves, a sin that they'd already failed in. God kind of reminding them of these things. In verse 14, he says, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So this Hebrew word for jealous refers to the zeal of a husband that he has over his wife. His name is Jealous. God had a zeal for his children. He is a zealous God. So don't mess with the zeal of God. Jealousy of God in that sense, that great zeal that he has. But also that Hebrew word translated for us as take heed literally means to bring a hedge about as with thorns. So to kind of put a, today we might say, to put a razor fence around you. Take heed, put a razor fence around you. Protect yourself. Take heed. It reminded me of the word circumspect in Exodus 23, 13. And in all that I've said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of the other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Put that guard around you. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, Paul kind of repeats that similar theme saying, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Are the days evil today? Can you say that we are living in some very evil times? Then we need to take heed, put that razor fence around us, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, understanding the will of the Lord. And God goes on in verses 14 through 17, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. I'm doing a pause there. It's been stuck in my head a little bit, but we're talking about uh, Pride Month here. And oh, man, hate to even watch TV right now with all the commercials. And, and they're just getting worse from my perspective. But there were some baseball players that said, I'm not wearing your Pride decal on my uniform and they're standing up for religious freedom. And we need to have the privilege to be able to do that. If they want to cancel us, then let them cancel us. But we need to be able to take a stand and say, well, I can't. That's a line that I'm not willing to cross. You guys can cross it. That's entirely up to you. But it's not in accordance to the word of God. I can't cross it. So very good that the uh, baseball players are willing to take that stand. I wish more would. And maybe we could get past some of this ridiculousness in our country. So lest you make a covenant, verse 15, with the inhabitants of the land, play the harlot, that's where I feel our nation is right now, with their gods, make sacrifices to their God, and one of them invites you to eat with the sacrifice, and you take his daughters to 
for your sons. His daughters play the harlot with their gods. Make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Verse 17, you shall make no molding gods for yourself. So God reminding them, no false gods. You can't commingle or co-worship. Don't be unequally yoked. Kind of reinforcing the second commandment. No other God before me. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. Paul talks about believers not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we're not to yoke ourselves with unbelievers. Sometimes that happens. But if we can prevent it, whether dating, marriage, business, partnerships, certain clubs or fraternities. Years ago, my dad, there's a strange testimony. My wife, Lily, said it echoes when I step over here. But I, this isn't in my notes, so I'm stepping into the echo chamber right now. I was a mason in the sense of I could actually lay brick. My dad was part of the Masonic Lodge, so he couldn't lay brick, but he was part of this fraternity. Now, the strange thing about this whole thing is my dad joined the lodge. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ. At the lodge in Waukegan, they gave him his first Bible and said, in this book, you will find the answers to life. My dad, who became a pastor in the end, said, I did find the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. He used his position in the lodge to preach Christ to some very wealthy, rich people in this area and down in Chicago, so much so that they quit inviting him to come to their meetings because he proclaimed the gospel. He, he kind of went a different course. I'm so glad. But when I was 23 years old, he invited me to join the fraternity. And I asked him why. Why should I want to do this? And I remember, I grew up around this. I used to, that lodge in Waukegan was a four-story stone building that they sold for taxes for $83,000. But when I was a kid, I knew every square inch of that place, even the secret chambers I wasn't supposed to be in. I roamed that whole building. But I was, in a sense, familiar with it, but I was never really part of it. My dad was part of it. He was even the grandmaster for a season. So he was deep into it. But I asked him why. Why should I want to join the lodge? And he said, well, it's a brotherhood. And as a brotherhood, we'll watch out for one another. If you ever have a problem, your lodge members will be there for you. My dad had a stroke. He was out of work for six months in the hospital back in the 60s to get his heart valve, pioneer days of heart surgery. I think they held his job because he was a lodge member. It may have benefited our family in that way. He went on to explain all the benefits, and I said, that is what the church is supposed to be. That was my response to him. That, you just described the church. I'll stick with the church. You can have your lodge. I think he was probably upset with that, but I never even went further than that. All I remember saying to my dad is, that is what the church is supposed to be. Sometimes the church fails. And we're not the brothers and sisters in Christ that we should be. And we cause people to search elsewhere where they should not need to search any further than Christ himself and the body of Christ here upon this earth. That was an extra, a bonus. But we need to be careful with that. Don't yoke ourselves with unbelievers, whether dating, marriage, business partnerships, certain clubs, fraternities. That's what got me on that one. We create a mixture that can never truly be united. 
So I'm going to read verses 18 through 28, and we'll roll through this section a little bit. And he's just really reiterating some of the things he's already given us. So he's repeating some of these things. Verse 18, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib, or Nisan is the same month uh, at this point in Scripture. It's known as Abib later on, Nisan, but one in the same month. So at the point in time in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. All that open the womb are mine. Every male firstborn among the livestock, whether ox or sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break its neck. All the firstborn sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you will work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And you will observe the feast of weeks and the fruit of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times a year all the males shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. So God's saying, you've got to come to the temple or the tabernacle, wherever it might be. So Shiloh was a place. Jerusalem became that ultimate place. But I'll protect your land. When you're gone, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to mess with you. You come up. You appear before the Lord like I commanded you. Verse 25. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat with its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. He wrote, God wrote on the tablets, the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So God reiterating several things that we've already learned about, uh, referring to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the redemption of the firstborn, the Sabbath day rest, the laws surrounding that, the Feast of first fruits and that of harvest, uh, the appearance of every man before the Lord three times a year. If they were to obey this, God promised that he would cast out the nations before them, that he would increase their borders and protect their lands. God also reminded them of the prohibition of offering leavened bread with a blood sacrifice. So unleavened, and we've talked about this before in the Bible, leaven can represent sin. So the bread is to be unleavened. That was offered before the Lord. God even made a prohibition against boiling a young goat in its mother's milk, repeating this from Exodus 23, 19. And God commanded Moses to write these words down and God gave him once again, the Ten Commandments. So for a second time, Moses was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, neither eating or drinking, which is a miracle in itself. And while receiving a new copy of the Ten Commandments written by the hand of God, during that time, Moses interceded in behalf of the children of Israel. So Deuteronomy 9.18, Moses here is explaining this to the next generation. Before his death, he repeats a lot of the law in the book of Deuteronomy it, it means a second law. So he's given it to the children of the adults that are living at this time. And he said, I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. Deuteronomy 9.18. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you have committed doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. I fell down. He fell down and he interceded in behalf of the children of Israel. 
So something happened this time that wasn't written about the time before. A divine phenomena took place, verses 29 through 35. So Moses, verse 29, it was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. So he began absorbing the glory of God, the radiance of God, causing his very face to shine. Verse 30, so when Aaron, the children of Israel, saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. 31 through 35, then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. They returned to him. They ran away, I guess. They fled away from him. Who's this glowing guy coming down the mountain? They were afraid. And Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the children of Israel came near. He gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. He would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So he developed this habit when he was in the presence of the Lord, take the veil off, receive that glory. Uh, when he spoke to the people immediately following, he would leave the veil off and kind of the radiance of God coming forth from him. But after he was finished giving the commandments, he would put the veil on and cover his face. Now, it's interesting that Paul talked about this, saying that the glory that Moses had received from the Lord was a fading glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.13, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. He's like, he needed to recharge. A good way to maybe put that today, we have rechargeable lights and batteries and you want them to glow again, you want them to work again, you got to get them out in the sunlight. Got to charge them up once again. Moses needed that recharge. We need that in our own life. It's a great spiritual truth, I believe, that is applicable to all of us. As we continue to draw near to Jesus, we will reflect the glory of Jesus through our lives toward others. And yet if we turn away, then the glory of Jesus will also fade away from our lives as well. It is only when we stay near to Jesus that we are being transformed into his image. As 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul said, But we are all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are all with unveiled faces. Like Moses, we don't need to walk into the presence of the Lord with veiled faces. Take the veil off, receive the glory, and reflect that glory to others. So I mentioned, Dad, I did put this in my notes. I'm just going to refer to it here at the end of this chapter. I mentioned my dad and his participating in the Masonic Lodge. That was the beginning of his journey of faith at that time. He lived 28 years of his life. He lived for 56 years. I kind of put all this together several years after his passing. As far as I'm concerned, my dad at 56 years old, I was 28. He died way too young. And it was kind of difficult for me getting close to 56 and now getting close to 62. Uh, I'm not as worried about it, but I know that, you know, every day is a gift from the Lord. But my dad's race was finished by the time he was 56 years old. But what's unique to me about his life, the first 28 years, he's lived apart from Christ. 
He was raised in a home where his dad was an alcoholic, my grandpa, Earl, and a womanizer. And my dad had, I don't know if I ever heard my dad say a good word about his father. He divorced his mother at the age of 12. And my grandma said, my dad was the youngest in the family. My grandma said, John A is old enough to take care of himself. So get out of here. And she got rid of her husband at that point. So John A at 12 years old, I don't know if he was old enough to take care of himself, but he was raised by older brothers and an older sister. And he lived apart from Christ. He spent six months in an army hospital because of a heart issue at 17 years old. He said, when I came out of there, I thought more like a 35-year-old because all the men in the hospital were older. And he was just a kid. And he kind of, you know, he didn't like the teenagers anymore, even though he's still a teenager. It raised him up. But I also think he learned some bad habits there. So he came out of that, hanging out in bars, smoking and drinking, were the vices of his day. And he used to say from the pulpit as a preacher, I met plenty of Christians in the bar sitting on the stools. And I said, if that's Christianity, I want no part of it. But at 28 years old, God got a hold of his heart. He believed in Jesus and some things immediately faded away. The drinking immediately left him. Smoking took a little longer for my dad, but he overcame those things. And for the next 28 years, he grew in his faith. And as he grew, he began to reflect the glory of Jesus more and more. And that's how it should be for us. So give us, Lord, hearts that are stirred, maybe in gifts and offerings, free will offerings, or maybe in our gifts and talents that are, you have given us that we can use in service for you, that we together, young and old, rich or poor, whatever class of society we might be in, that we can come together to work together for your glory and our good. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let